phone and taking the scroll and look at chapter 7. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Where's the lamb located now? The midst of the throne. If you're reading from the NASB, it says from the center of the throne. So this lamb, it looks like he was slain. He's not only worthy to go up and take the scroll from the one on the throne, but he's actually able to be on the throne. So this is from Revelation. This was the last book of the Bible given to John about the year 90. And already here, already at this point, the understanding people have of Jesus is Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us, God among us. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, which is applied to Yahweh and it's applied to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, the one who would come riding on the clouds of heaven. He is the cloud rider who approaches the Ancient One of Days and where the entire world, all nations, all tongues would bow their knee to him, to Jesus Christ. People had from the start a very clear picture of who this Jesus was. The one who would rebuke the wind and the storm would be done. The one who would say, wake up, get up, and dead people woke up and got up. People were very, very clear for those first 300 years exactly who your king, my king was. That he was sent from God and he was God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now all that to say, Although that was very clear for the first 300 years, something happens in the year 313. So for the first 300 years, Christianity, it's illegal for the most part. It's, it's uh, different parts of the world had it worse at different times, depended who was in political power, depended on what governor was, was in charge, depended on the, the, the persuasion of the emperor. But for the most part, it was underground. It was like the church in Iran or the church in North Korea or the church in China. To, to meet together, to worship Jesus, you had to be careful. But in the year 313, something changes. The man in office, the emperor, becomes a Christian. And in 313, the Edict of Milan, they decriminalize Christianity. You can now be a Christian. The property that was seized from you or from your ancestors is returned to you. You can build buildings and worship. You can share Jesus with your neighbors, and the army's not going to come and get you. So really exciting, but it only lasts so long, the peace of the church, there becomes a division. Trouble starts brewing in Alexandria. So I could get the slide with the map of Alexandria. So in Egypt, right on the Mediterranean, a place I, I really hope to visit one day, there is a priest. His name is Arius. And this priest, he starts having these ideas. And he says, do you know what? I think we got it wrong. I think we got it wrong about Jesus the whole time. Uh, it says that he's the only begotten of the Father. Begotten, that's kind of like being born. That's kind of like being made. Do you know what? I think there was a time when there was no Son of God. In fact, I don't think that the Father was always the Father. I think that God has always existed. But this whole thing about making Jesus God, making Jesus Yahweh, I think we got things wrong. 
Now, thankfully, the bishop, which is kind of like a senior pastor, the bishop of the day in Alexandria, his name was Alexander. He was a solid guy, and he, he sniffed bad doctrine a mile away, and he said, Arius, you're silenced. This is wrong. We have always understood, we've always believed what the Word of God tells us. Jesus Christ is God. And the battle begun. People started picking sides. Uh, Alexander excommunicates Arius, banishes him from Alexandria. What does he do? Oh, like any good heretic, he takes, he moves, he goes over to Israel, and he starts telling and talking about his views. He publishes books, he writes letters, and he tries to get as many bishops as possible on his side. People listen, and it works. One guy in particular, his name is Eusebius of Nicomedia up in Turkey, um, real bad guy, he's a real schmoozer, and he, he's got friends in the right places, and he starts writing letters saying, Alexander, you're wrong. Arius is right. This is actually what we should believe. And the sides stack up and stack up and stack up. This grabs the attention of the emperor, of Constantine. Constantine doesn't really care that much about doctrine and theology. He claims to be a Christian. He wants unity in the empire. And for him, it doesn't really matter what side happens, but what he wants is no division. So he writes a letter to Alexander, Alexander and Arius, and he says, basically, Guys, knock it off, all right? You're Christians, stop the division, get back together. This doesn't really matter. Shake and make up. Do they do it? No way, not a chance. The division happens, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And finally, Constantine says, all right, that's it. We, we're we going to put this to bed. We're going to get together, and we're going to talk this over. We're going to have a pastor's conference. And on the government dime. So for the first time ever, the the taxpayer money going to persecute the Christians is actually now going to gather them from the world, to bring them from all over the place to this, what today is a small town. It was called Nicaea. It was up in Turkey. You see on this map here, the locations where they come from. It it was incredible. From Spain to Iran, from Arabia to Crimea, up in the north, uh, north of Turkey, pastors were got special invitations they had horses and carriages sent for them to bring them safely to Nicaea when they got there all expenses paid food palace and a spot on a bench to sit and to argue and debate and make your case so as they gathered here the year is 325 what kind of people were coming here uh, first of all it has been less remember in 325 It's been less than 12 years since Christianity was made legal. These guys that showed up uh, um, missing the right arm, eyes gouged out. There's a story, one guy, his his right eye was gouged out, and Constantine was so impressed with him that he kissed the empty socket of his eye. Super gross. Uh, One guy, his hands, they didn't work anymore because hot irons had been applied to his hands and killed the nerves. Um, there's one guy, he was hamstrung, where they, they sliced the back of your leg and the, the tendon's gone and it, it just doesn't work anymore. People were carried in. Some of these bishops were carried in and put in their spot, ready to defend the integrity of their king, Jesus Christ. So this was an impressive group. These were men that were willing to die for the Lord, that survived the toughest trials. And it kind of, it, it gets me like, Wow, why would you go? Like 12 years ago, you were enemy of the state. 
And now the head of the state says, let's all get you all together. Uh, oh, you're a really good Christian leader? Come on, come on here. I think, I just, I smell a trap. But that shows how important this topic was. They said, even if it is, it doesn't matter. Even if 300 years of this has not turned out well for us, we're going to go and we're going we're gonna, to we're tell the truth. We're going to clearly say what the scriptures say. We're not going to let Arius win. We're not going to let Eusebius of Nicomedia win. So they go and they gather. What is it like? It is intense. It's a two-month conference of debate and debate. It's heated. Some of the stuff that the Arians were saying, I'm just going to read to you a list of this thing here. And just for you as evangelicals, just try and think of somebody, maybe even coming in here and taking the stand and saying, hey guys, I think you might have got your Bibles wrong. Let me tell you what, what's really in here. This is what he was teaching, okay? God was not always the Father. The Word of God was not from eternity, but was made out of nothing. The ever-existing God, the I Am, the Eternal One, made him who did not previously exist, made him out of nothing. There was a time when the Son did not exist, inasmuch as a Son is a creature and a work, that he is neither like the Father as it regards an essence, nor is by nature either the Father's true word, but indeed just one of the works, one of the creations. Jesus is one of the all things that God made. He can change. He is just like other rational creatures. The word of God is separate and different from the essence of God. The Father is inexplicable by the Son. The Son doesn't really know the Father. The Father is invisible to the Son. Jesus cannot see the Father. This is what they were teaching. The Word can, does not perfectly or accurately know the Father. The Word cannot distinctly see God. And then this is the biggest, I call this the, the mic drop of heresy. This here is, Jesus was made for us so that God could use him as an instrument to make us. And if God had not wished to create you and me, he never would have made Jesus. This is the filth. This is the trash that was being taught by men who claim to be leaders of the body of Christ. So, the letters go viral. The conferences come. The year is 325. There's about 318 bishops present along with an innumerable, incalculable number of priests and deacons and interns. One man, one historian named Theodoret said, in short, the council looked like an assembled army of martyrs. Now, what was discussed at this conference? First of all, um, very, I want to make very clear, not the canon of Scripture. Has anybody, just by show of hands, have you guys heard that before? Have you heard it online? It, yeah, good. That is something that, uh, it, it's amazing. It's an internet myth that, that really just took a life of its own. This idea that at the Council of Nicaea, Constantine brought people together and they made decisions. This book's in, this book's out, these gospels, not that gospel. And um, lots of people like to talk about it. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses talk about it. Muslims like to talk about it. And they say, you Christians, the only reason you believe in the Gospels that you have is because Constantine chose those for you at Nicaea. 
honestly, uh, it never even came up. It was not on the books. People already, in 325, already knew what was the canon of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, the amazing thing in my study, going through many different history books on this, they, they keep quoting constantly the divinely inspired Scriptures. And that's whatever team you're on there, you would call them the divinely inspired Scriptures. They knew what was in, and they knew what was out. The scriptures were already clear at, while the ink was drying when the apostles wrote these letters. Christians, like you, recognized what was authoritative from God, what was God-breathed, and what was just normal history, just normal writing. It, it was very, very clear. Um, Arrhenius, the, the, like you got Apostle John, trained Polycarp, Polycarp trained Arrhenius. Arrhenius actually could make the statement, it's so fitting that there are only four directions of the compass, north, south, east, and west, that there are actually only as well four Gospels, no more, no less, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Early on, way before Nicaea. Uh, so on that as well, I just want to point you guys to this resource here. I think the canon of Scripture is one of the most interesting and important things for us Christians to know today, to for, for our own edification, to share with Christians in your life, to share with those that, that are not Christian, that, that don't know this stuff, and the, the, the expert that we've got, the best guy we've got in the world, I would say, is Dr. Michael Kruger. He's down in the States, East Coast States. Uh, he's the dean of a seminary down there, and he has written many books on it. This one here is a, it's a short study. They're 20-minute videos. There's six videos. It's only like 25 bucks. Please take a photo of it on your phone. Um, check this out. Do it this week. You're going to love it. I've done it many times. And it's, it's just a solid case for, for what, what we know about the, the canon. And it's very good. Very no, good to know. All right. So what was talked about in Nicaea? Nothing to do with the canon of Scripture. What was talked about? Well, they talked about the date of Easter. Some people were, were celebrating the date of Easter on one date. Uh, other groups around the world were celebrating on another date. So they, they got some consensus there. They, they came up with a little, they did a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of church discipline. Like, what do we do in these cases? And they came up with uh, 20 um, things of like, this is what we do. Uh, it's kind of funny to read. One thing was uh, um, some bishops had what they were calling spiritual sisters living in their homes. And they said, uh, knock it off. They said if, and they actually list out, if she is not your wife, because they were married in the day, she's not your wife or your mom or your mother-in-law or your sister or your aunt or, your, you know, your cousin, she's not allowed to live in your house uh, or church discipline. They talked about what do we do with the bishops during persecution that gave up? What do we do about the bishops that went and did the pinch of incense, you know, for, for a go another god, for an idol? Do we bring him back in? What, like, they, they, had, they had a lot of things to sort out. Uh, one of the cool things they established was that the leaders of these five locations would look after their region around and have equal share of power. So the leader of Alexandria, the leader of Jerusalem, the leader of Antioch, the leader of Constantinople, and the leader of Rome would have equal share. These bishops, not one more strong than the other, uh, was established then. But the most important thing, the most important part, was the debate that brought them there. And it was about Jesus. Is Jesus from the same substance as God the Father, so, you know, apples to apples, or 
is Jesus of a different substance of the Father. That, that, that he's great, that he's important, but apples to oranges. That was the heated battle that was going on. The, the couple Greek words that were used, homoousios, same substance, and heterousios, of different substance. Um, there's a, there was a legend that came up. If you go to the next slide, I, I won't spend too much time on this. Hard to say if this is factual or not, but uh, the, the Greek Orthodox tradition have kept it alive. It's kind of fun. Uh, apparently, Saint Nick, Santa Claus, was at Nicaea and uh, overcome with, with hearing Arius say these heresies against his Lord. Uh, his hot Mediterranean Turkish blood boiled, and apparently he ran up and slapped Arius across the face, to which people thought, oh no, bishops don't do this. What do we do? And so they... they locked him up for a little bit and then there's different stories on what what took place afterwards how that got settled out uh, but at the end of the, the story he, he he apologized and was reinstated um but there, it was it was a hot battle and i want to show you guys now let's just look at a sample text that i know would have come up so john chapter 8 so grab your bibles and flip over to john chapter 8. So in Exodus, when Moses is commissioned by God to go back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, you know, time's over. We are now leaving. We're going back to our land. Moses said, well, who should I, what is your name? What, what, who do I say sent me? And God, he had a very unique, very interesting way that he called himself, defined himself. He said, I am. Tell him I am am sent you which speaks of god is is he's right here he's always been he will always be i am ultimate reality i am sent you jesus in john chapter 8 he's arguing with the jewish people and he's saying um let's read it verse 48 the jews answered him are we not right in saying that you are a samaritan and have a demon Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is a judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Which sounds so good. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Yet who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. Of him you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. Which again, about remember Arius said that doesn't know the father. Well, yeah, sorry, Arius. Jesus said, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And they said, your father Abraham, oh, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? 
remember, Abraham would have been a couple thousand years before this, the time of this writing. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. How did they respond to that? So they picked up stones to throw at him. They tried to execute him for such a statement. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So I know this text would have come up because it's, it's, my mind just shoots to it right away. When the deity of Christ is on the table, no one could say such a statement before Abraham was, I am, unless, unless it's true. He was claiming to be Yahweh, to be God among us. So how did it turn out? Thankfully, the, the truth prevailed. And uh, if you could go to the Nicene Creed slide, the truth prevailed and most bishops signed a creed. They came together, they put together, all but five signed it. Those that did not sign it, like Arius and Eusebius of Nicomedia and a few others, they were actually exiled. They were banished. Unfortunately, there were people who signed it because they thought, oh, I'm going to lose my job. I see how this conference is going. I better be on the right side of this conference. And so they signed it, but didn't believe it in their heart. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute here. But what words did they choose to put in this? And now, the thing with the scriptures is that people could try to come up with all different kinds of interpretations. They can neglect certain texts. They can stretch certain texts. They can do all kinds of, of things to it. So what they wanted to do is said, let's make a creed or a definition that makes it so clear you can't mess with it. That says exactly, this is what we believe. So I'll read it. You have it up here too. It might sound familiar to you. So these bishops decided, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that is of the substance of the Father. Catch that? Uh, of him. God of God, light of light. Can you separate light from light? Away. True God of true God, begotten, not made. Of the substance, the homoousios, with the Father, by whom all things were made, both which are in heaven and on earth, who for the sake of us men and on account of our salvation descended, became incarnate, put on flesh, and was made a man, suffered, arose again on the third day, and ascended into the heavens, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. And then, like, I always feel like for my Pentecostal friends, they're like, and it also says, and in the Holy Spirit, like not too much else. And they're kind of like, oh, give me a little bit more. Well, other conferences, other councils in the future would, would give a little more clarity on that as well. But it's good they got it in there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church just means the world church of the day. Anathematizes, which means condemns, those who say there was a time when he was not. And he was not before he was begotten. And he was made from that which did not exist. And those who assert that he is of other substance or essence than that father, or that he was created or susceptible to change. 
for the next six decades, what you would never expect is what took place. So if we can go to the next slide. Uh, Eusebius is banished, and Arius is banished. And Eusebius turns out to be quite connected with Emperor Constantine. He schmoozes his way back in, eventually says, you know what, I changed my mind. I should have signed. Why didn't I sign? G give, me, give me a pen. Give me a paper. And he signs the, the creed. means nothing to him, but it gets him back in. He's back on a, in a bishop's chair, and he starts writing letters saying, do you know what? That guy, Arius, he was misunderstood. And that Alexander, who passes on and a new a replacement comes, he says, they're so hard. They're not Christian at all. Why are they not letting him repent? Why are they not letting him back into the church? And they do everything they can to try to get Arius back in Alexandria, to try to appoint all the bishops they can that are Arian, that, that believe in, in, in the teachings of Arius. And it shifts. Even though the Council of Nicaea was a victory, before you know it, everybody's saying, you know what? Maybe there's something here. You know, maybe this Arian teaching, yeah, I could kind of see it here. And it's like a plague. It's like a virus that just goes and goes and goes. And before you know it, you're like, oh, my, my best friend believes in this. My pastor believes in this. But the scriptures are clear, but I don't know. I don't know what to think. And in this chaos, as it spread, um, Jerome, writing in the 400s, he said this, the entire world woke from a deep slumber and discovered that had become Arian. Another guy, Gregory of Nazianus, he said, one could not even get one's shoes repaired without getting into a discussion, a debate, regarding whether the Son was the same or different substance to the Father. Everybody had an opinion of it. Another uh, historian talks about that there was bishops galloping this way and that way constantly debating and discussing this topic for six decades. This was the main thing. Where do you stand? Who is Jesus Christ? And in this time, my hero, Athanasius, he replaced Alexander when Alexander, the bishop of Alexandria, died. Athanasius, I love this picture because he looks tough and he's, you know, he hits the gym and he's got his Bible ready to go. He's got that look in his eye like he'll take on the world. Uh, that, it looks nothing like him. His nickname was the Black Dwarf. Uh, he was short, very dark skin, uh, ethnic of Egypt, and uh, maybe a little bit shy in person, but this, this man would not back down. Five times he was exiled. He was banished. He was sent to Germany at one point. He would have to hide, go into hiding in the underground, living with monks in the deserts of Egypt, living in small villages along the Nile, uh, Incredible stories come out of this man's life. And his writings, it's like reading, like your, pick your favorite theologian today who's deep in the scriptures. That's what Athanasius wrote like. He was convinced the Trinity is not made up by man. The Trinity is man explaining what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. This guy was solid. And there was a point where there's a famous saying at the time there in Latin was Athanasius contra mundum meaning Athanasius against the world. I can't imagine what it would have felt like when you're the enemy of the state and everybody everywhere is believing, because it's easy to, a particular way of view of seeing God, and you know what the text says, and you think, I, I can't. 
It doesn't matter if I stand alone. It doesn't matter if I lose my life. I must stand on what God has revealed. So, incredible guy. How did it turn out? Well, anything not made by God, anything that God's not behind, thank God, eventually does die out. It fizzles out. Close to the year 381, the Aryans looked like they had won. It looked like the empire was theirs. And they turned to infighting and all kinds of soap opera style stuff. And it fizzled out. And a conference in Constantinople came together in 381 and said, we uh, stand on the Nicene Creed. We stand on what the scriptures say. The, the view of the Trinity, which uh, my favorite way to say it, I've said it here before, is God is one in being and three in person. Being is what you are, right? So you, I, we're a human being. That's what we are, but it's not who you are. Who you are, Lee, April, it's, it's, your, it's your personality. So God is one in being, in essence, and we call him Yahweh, but he's three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they stood strong, and, and it was re-signed, and thankfully, until the 1800s, it was not an issue again. In the 1800s, there was uh, an American minister that said, hey, I have a fresh idea. I think Jesus was actually a man. I think he was made. I think he was the first thing made. And uh, that's a story for another day, uh, or until your doorbell rings on a Saturday afternoon and somebody wants to hand you some literature. So, uh, when, and if that does happen, uh, I, I hope this will be useful. That w- Anyone that wants to talk to you about Nicaea, please say, ooh, let's talk about it and, and get into the Nicene Creed. I'm going to finish there. And the last thing I just want to share with you, uh, wh- uh, the main takeaway I hope you get from this um, is... Every generation, every generation of, of, of believers, before Christ, after Christ, we all have, we all have to face the difficulties uh, externally with the world, and we have to face them internally as well. Unfortunately, every generation has had heretics, and God has used heretics of every generation to strengthen his people, to get a little bit tighter in scriptures, to get more humble and closer to the Lord, and say, God, we love you, we love your word, help us, God, to, to defend you, help us to bring you glory, Lord, help us to, to cling to you. It's, it has actually always been a good thing. And so for you and me, for our generation as Christians living in Canada, of course, there's things happening right now, and there will be things in the next generation as well, where you're going to be challenged. You're going to be told by people who claim to be Christians that what you believe about the Word of God is wrong, you're off. That was good for a time, but that's not now. And so I, I hope this could be encouraging to you to say, no, no. Read your Bible often. Read it clearly. Read it just plain value, plain sense. What's there? Let God speak to you and, and stand, stand on his truth. It doesn't matter who is different. It doesn't matter what storms happen around you. Be faithful. God will have that storm pass. Uh, He's done it like a roller coaster across history. He's done it again and again and again. And so, yeah, let's let's, let's you and me stand firm as Christians in Canada. And for the glory of God, let's cling uh, to the word of God. So, um, 
can I get you guys to, to stand? I want to read a last verse for you. I'm going to pray for you. And then, uh, yeah, we'll close there. So the great verse here is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunity, God, for us to, to gather this morning, Lord, uh, both here in person and online. Thank you for the, blessing us with such technology. And Lord God, thank you that when uh, skies were dark in the past, Lord, you raised up men that would be strong, Lord, to pass on to us, Lord, your truth. We love you, God. We, we're so grateful, Lord. You've changed our hearts and opened our minds. And we pray, Lord God, that you'd help us live passionately for you, God, for your glory, and for the good of all those around us. Lord, we love you. Go with us this week. And Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you.